Hello, hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Iron Hack Podcast. It's just me this week, um, Tim is sick, he's away, hopefully nothing too serious, he'll be back by in the next episode. But today's episode, I have a friend of mine um, that I've known for just over a year now here in Berlin, a young developer and entrepreneur, Nicholas Wenzler, out there, a good friend of mine. So he is, um, he's built very recently, the, the, the last thing he built was a um, terminal t- tutorial kind of walkthrough thing. We'll, we'll talk about it in the episode, but this is a really good insight into kind of the mindset of a self-taught developer, the kind of habits and skills that he developed that put him in this position where now he's, you know, self-employed and he's teaching others to to code. And we also talk a lot about, you know, what the differences might be between learning by yourself and learning through a boot camp, whether or not there really is a difference at the end of the day. So a really good episode for all those things. And then some really good insights into some meetups he's involved in as well, which I think will be good for some of you listeners out there. Um, this is a kind of coding f- focused episode, but even if you're a UX UI student or obviously a data analytics student, um, there's still a lot in here for you. So that's it, really. I won't keep you long. If you are new, subscribe. Um, the podcast is everywhere good podcasts are made. And look through the archives. There's probably something for you, especially if you're kind of new to Ironhack. A few times in the past, we've done stuff on like how to get started and what to expect. So have a look through and that's it for now otherwise i'll catch you on the other side okay hi um i'm nicholas i started coding about 15 years ago i taught it to myself and then i kept coding doing lots of different projects and right now i do mostly two things i mentor founders and ceos in learning how to code and i help them jump into it and the other thing is i'm the founder of terminaltutor.com it's a website that teaches um, how to use the terminal and or the command line or shell however you want to call it and it does so interactively and you said then you started coding 15 years ago do you mind how old are you now if you don't mind sharing with the the listeners no i don't want to share no i'm (laughs) i'm 25 i started when i was 10 okay um quite young Gotten, uh, I love video games back then, and so I wanted to develop my own and got a book that was called Game Development for Kids, uh-huh. and it was far too complicated for a 10-year-old, but <laughs> I learned some parts from it, got yeah. stuck at some point, and then uh, tried, tried again with Python, which was a lot easier. Are um, you still gaming or trying to develop games now, or did you just move past them? To be honest, programming replaced gaming. Oh, wow. I, okay. okay. For a while I did both, but mostly it's, it's more coding. For some reason, it was more fun than, than playing games. And of course, every now and then I try to develop a small game. Yeah. But it's mostly coding. Yeah, cool. It must be fun though, to just be able to throw together any game you feel like it. When you when you know I've got an idea for a game, let me throw together a rough version of it and then test it out. Yeah, but to be honest, games are quite complicated. It all depends on the game. If you want to build some easy something like Flappy Bird, mm-hmm. which was really big a couple of yeah. years ago, that's that's something you can build quite quickly. Yeah, 
But then if you want something more complicated with the story and then it's far far more stuff to build than you originally well, think. I think Flappy Birds, or at least the the, the game type of the side-scrolling, don't touch the sides mm-hmm. game type is quite common with our students at Ironhack for their first project. So the oh, first nice. project at Ironhack, um, after I think three or four weeks, they make a game, or maybe even be after two weeks, the first thing they do is make a game. Um, I did mine on vanilla HTML and CSS, and it was just one big, long file. Because I was so okay. first coding project, and it's just one massive uh, file with all the code in. So maybe that needs to be revisited and refactored. But that's um, how everyone starts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned them that you did the the Tutor Academy. What was it called? Your current project? TerminalTutor.com. Terminal Tutor. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So when you write code, there's a tool called the Terminal, which is a tool where you interact with text instructions with a computer and make it can make it do things like um, show you the contents of a directory, copy files, move files, start some kind of server that you might need um, while developing your application. And it's quite hard to get into when you just start out. I fought a lot with it and had my troubles initially. And I see a lot of other people struggling. And so I'll build a site where you can, where you have a tutorial on one side of the screen on, on, and on the other side of the screen, you can just try it all out as you go. And it's interactive. It's easy. I'm improving it right now. And by the time the podcast is published, that update should be live. Mm-hmm. And then it's even more structured and easier and everything broken down. So what made you decide to build the term? I mean, apart from the obvious that it's a, it's quite a dense thing to learn the terminal, especially when you're brand new to coding and all of our disciplines will use it in some way. And the data analytics students will, and the UX UI students will have some interaction with it, but it is, um, yeah, it's a kind of a new thing for people. It's the first thing they learn in, in coding, but what was it that made you think, okay, this needs a, this needs a tutorial, like an interactive, easy, easy route in. So I consider myself mostly to be an entrepreneur, which means I look for problems that other people have and I try to solve them. And then during pretty short time frame, I had a lot of people complain to me, um, some of my own students that I coach and some friends who complained about that it was so hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, if you hear something like that as an entrepreneur, you jump in and yeah, okay. you decide to build something. And yeah, that's the start. And then I'll probably take the same concept and apply it to different topics as well, different things okay, that someone yeah. might want to learn. Yeah, that was one of my further questions. Are you going to take this this like concept of, of taking a a topic, let's say in this case, a relatively difficult, well, a topic in in the world of tech and then creating like a a, a route, a tutorial for people. Are you going to do that again with other areas of tech? And if so, where do you start? Do you do all of HTML or or what's your, what are you thinking? So with Terminal Tutor, I'll check how people like it Mm -hmm. and how, how it's received. And if the feedback is positive, I'll build more. And then I'll see... Mm, I'll see from the feedback where people struggle and where the solutions, the current 
educational content is not good enough. And then I'll go into these areas. Is it aimed at just brand new people to coding? Or can, is it like, could you use it as a refresher if you're maybe six, seven months down the line? I think six, six to seven months down the line, it might even be more useful. Uh-huh. Because when you just get started with coding, you have so many things you want to do. At this, you need to learn at the same time. And the terminal is something you where you don't have to be an expert right away. So the terminal, the terminal tutor tutorial also doesn't try to make you an expert. It tries to give you everything you need to get started. But I don't think you need all of it when you start. That may be three or four months down the line mm-hmm. is a better yeah. time to learn it and go into detail about it than yeah. your first week of starting. Yeah, a lot of it's kind of muscle memory. I know like on the course, they teach you the basics of how to use it. And then every day you have to interact somewhat just to get your file, files up when you interact with your projects. But the later things, the kind of tweaking, the extra learning just comes with more and more time using the tool. So, so for those who still aren't clear out there, the Terminal Tutor is a kind of like an all-inclusive interactive guide from start to finish of what to do with the terminal so if you are a new student out there maybe you're just getting to start iron hack or you're about to start soon and this is your kind of intro episode um check it out run through it and if you're as we just said a few months down the line maybe it's worth having a look at for you know um brushing up the skills it's free to use tools it's free to use yeah okay great and how can people find it on terminaltutor.com Maybe we can put the link yeah. to the show notes. Yeah, in the description, in the show notes, there will be a um, there'll be a link to it for sure. And that was a pretty good pitch as well from you, just <laughs> describing it and <laughs> distilling it into one or two sentences. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So it is. That's what it is, though, right? An end-to-end interactive guide of everything you need to know. It's just a case then of so everything. Every time you try and make any kind of learning platform, the 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 curriculum is very difficult so for example the iron hack boot camp right coming up with the curriculum is very hard where do you start how do you teach people from zero what they should learn what's the best route through the topic um and there's a lot more bureaucracy behind it like if you do make something that's being taught and and as a paid course it has to be approved by an education board and it has to be like a an official thing you can't just make up the two the the two the the um curriculum and then give it to anyone so with this how did you kind of break it down did you just start with the most basic this is the first thing i do in the terminal and this is how i move through it um you know what was the kind of thought pattern between like what people need to learn as the basics was it just what you use the most or did you kind of take inspiration from other other places so with the terminal you can do everything you do with your computer that you do with your mouse and with the graphical interface. But I didn't want to teach everything. I just wanted to teach what a software developer or a data scientist or someone in that field um, might need. And for that, I looked at what I use myself and I got some feedback from friends, what they use. Cool. And the stuff that everyone uses, that's the only thing you basically have to know. I would yeah. say. All right, so how long did it take you to build before we move on from it? So the first version about a month, and now spend a month roughly improving, and I think it will take one more month to fully bring it to the point where I want it to be. Yep. And then I can uh, create the next 
Next yeah, slide. nice. That's really cool. You just built it like as a, as a project for yourself, and once it's done, I guess with something like this, it doesn't need much maintenance, right? It's when it's done, yep. it's done. You can put it out there. The terminal is the terminal, unless someone updates the <laughs> the concept, right? It's going to be there. Cool. Yeah. Um, can anyone get involved or contribute or test in any way? Is that anything you're still looking for, um, or do you just want people to test it and then write you on LinkedIn if they find a big hole in it? Maybe. Yeah, if you use it and you have any kind of feedback feel free to send me a message i think the best way is to do it through my website by the time the podcast is live i'll make sure the website is in english i've wanted to do that for a long time okay. uh, we can also put the website into the show notes yeah and apart from that it helps to um, have someone to go through the site together with so also for future sites. So if you like trying out new stuff, feel free to get in touch. And when I have something that's early, we can go through it together. You'll learn something. I'll answer questions. And I learn something as well. Mm -hmm. It might be a very good collaboration um, idea for you and students at some point, right? Maybe there's a UX, UI student out there who would help you with some UX design on something you're building. That would be a nice little outreach. So feel free to reach out to Nicholas. Um, if you're listening out there, maybe something will, will kick. All right. So then let's talk a little bit about, um, we, we touched on it earlier about your journey into coding, which is really an interesting one because you started very young. I started very late. I didn't start coding until I was 29. Um, and many of our students are a lot very, you know, different age ages. And normally, I think the average age is between 28 and 35, something like that. Tim has that statistic. Um, but we have people of all ages and backgrounds at IronHack. Um, but it's always good to talk to someone who's self-taught from a young age. You know, I feel like if I, I did that with music, and but I wish if I had done it with something maybe more lucrative, like coding, for example, something I could keep doing. Um, so do you remember the first thing you built at when you got this game game design book for children? Do you remember what you first did? Yeah, so I tried to build simple math games. So where you would get an exercise and then you would have to put in the answer. And I completely failed building that. And it took me a couple of years to understand what I was doing wrong. But essentially, when, you, when someone types something into a text field, it's text. And even if someone puts in a number, it's, it's a data type string. And if you want to, and it's just the character two that you have on the keyboard and then the character three, for example, if you have 23. And then if you want to do any kind of calculations to it, you need to convert it to a number. And right. So you were just inputting strings everywhere and hoping they would come out as a different data type. Uh, yeah, I didn't, back then I did not understand the difference between these data types. And I only had that book, which tried to, which already assumed you basically knew the programming language and then tried yeah. to teach you some game development stuff, 3d game development, um, <laughs> which is far too complicated for a 10 year old, but, uh, from, it had one intro chapter where it introduced some of the concepts, but I did not understand the difference between the data types. Mm -hmm. And I also, at that point, I had no idea what the internet was. Uh, okay, we did wow. not have, I think we had internet, but I had never been on the internet. So I only had that book. Was this 2008? 
something around that time, yeah. 2008, Two, okay. 2007, 2008, something nice. like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was just going to university then, so that's a <laughs> period, yeah. Um, wow, fuck. Okay, so um, I was going to say then, this, yeah, this... The fact that it's a very literal machine language is something I think that people struggle with a little bit, you know? It's like you can't just put in, like, um, something that's metaphorical or even less than, you know, I'm trying to find a lesser word than metaphorical. You can't put anything that's suggestive and expect the code to understand it. You have to be very, very literal. Like, this character is a number. It's not just two characters. It doesn't, you can't expect the code to differentiate between a language and a number or even a symbol because why would the machine lo- know that unless you unless you tell it and that's such a useful thing like when you get your head around that at the very beginning it's like right okay and the terminal is exactly that right the terminal you have to be very specific otherwise it will just it won't even tell you that you've made an error because it doesn't know <laughs> that you're supposed to know that um yeah so what about though in that time then since you were coding back then what ide were you coding on have you changed or are you still using the same software so I've definitely changed. Um, back then, the first thing I did was in Delphi, and Delphi had its own IDE. You could only use that. Yeah. And then I learned Python, and Python comes with its own IDE too that you can use, but I would not recommend to you. And then at some point, I got into Android development, and I remember it was public school holidays, and it was Google I.O., so Google's conference, and they premiered Android Studio, and I downloaded that thing and I had my mind blown. I think I was having <laughs> so much these days because it was really amazing. And it's based on uh, JetBrains IDEs. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, JetBrains, nice. JetBrains, I think it's the best IDE maker there is. And whatever language I code in, I just go to their website, download the IDE that they make. And so you're, also, not, you're not a visual code studio guy? No, I think it's stupid to use. Okay. Um, I converted my my first coaching client from Visual Studio Code to uh, JetBrains, and he's so much faster with all of the shortcuts yeah. because it has so many more options to do stuff with your with your code that Visual Studio Code does not provide, and I think does not intend to provide. And so that just I think it makes me. Just having the IDE compared compared to text editor mm-hmm. makes me like twice as fast, and then GitHub Copilot makes me again twice as fast. So I think that's the best invested money every month, and it's like ten bucks. Uh, it's, it's a paid it's a paid subscription platform. JetBrains. JetBrains is paid. Um, you or depends. I think the Python version and the uh, Java version have free, mm-hmm. and there's also a free trial, but then you have to pay. But it's like okay. Once a month. All right. Well, you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all genders, and how that because Einhack teaches um, Visual Code Studio as like a download it. Um, and we, me and Tim, have spoken a lot about JetBrains, but that was a very good advert for why it's better and maybe worth the worth the change. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can afford, sometimes it's one of those things where if you can afford to put money into it, it will make your life so much easier just to subscribe to this thing and and use it for quality of life upgrade yeah. and get your if you're employed get your employer to pay it if they don't already um oh that's a good idea yeah Always i mean take what you can if it makes you if it saves you 10 hours a month and these 10 hours are a lot more expensive to them than paying 10 bucks yeah for your software 
If you have an employer, right? That's the big problem right now, right? Of course, if you have <laughs> if an employer. You get a job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, the, that's the tricky thing right now. It's a difficult spot. Um, well, speaking of that change, so you've used JetBrains like from the beginning then? Re- not from the beginning. No, not like, from the beginning, but like once you four found years in, stuck. four or five years in, something yeah, like yeah. that. Do you think anything else in the developer experience has really changed? So I'm, there's a, this is a little bit loaded because I think that the developer experience fundamentally hasn't really changed since the 90s you know it's still like developers coding to it from a from a code base and then you know push it and then there's a review and it's just a single source of truth like this cloud development the emergence of cloud a few years ago i thought was maybe going to change the way develop developing happens you know everyone contributing to to like um simultaneously or, or having the power of of all of the you know infinite cloud-sized computers in order to code on rather than just the power of your machine. But it hasn't really changed much still in that time. But what about in your experience? Has there been much, uh, any big, ch- like, I don't know, conditional statements in CSS? Like what's <laughs> changed massively in the, in the last 15 years for you? I think there have been a lot of changes. Um, the first was when I got access to Stack Overflow. Okay, that yep, changed yep. A lot. Yeah, a lot more social um, anxiety. You don't want to ask people to shower you now directly. What do you mean? If you ask it, when I ask the first question I asked on Stack Overflow, the first five comments are just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, how could you know? Oh my God, how did you not know this? And then eventually someone's like, this is the answer to the question. Yeah, to be honest, I've never posted on Stack Overflow. I've always just searched for answers. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's probably the trick, yeah. And for that, it's amazing. Um, languages have changed a lot. If you take something like JavaScript and compare it to what it was 10 years ago, now it's really enjoyable to write. If you use all the modern tools that you have, if you use the version from back then, it's horrible. There used to be a thing called Internet Explorer, which I'm really happy we don't have to support anymore because it's just horrible. You mean Edge? Like what's now Edge? Edge now is okay because it uses the same... Yeah, it runs on Chromium, so it's up to date. Internet Explorer was horrible. I use Edge, but I'm Edge guy, by the way. I'm using Edge now. Tim, I don't, I don't Tim understand me that. Onto it because Chrome is okay. Tim sold me on it on the podcast, the like episode, I don't know, ten or something. Because the Chrome just if you, you know when you go to your your task manager, Chrome is just eating resources. Use Firefox. Yeah, I mean, fine, but Edge does the same. Edge has all of the benefits of, like, I mean, Chromium, but without using any resources. Firefox is fine, but Chrome, Edge is just faster. I'm just saying, try it for a week, and you'll be like, okay. Microsoft wanted me to install it. They, I signed up for the Bing chatbot beta. Uh, obviously, I don't use Bing. I'm not crazy, but I do use Edge. I mean, the chatbot seems interesting. So I signed up, and then they were like, nope. You need to download Edge to use the thing. And I was like, no, I'm not going to download Edge. I mean, look, use Edge, but don't use Bing. That's the trick. And that, that's the perfect look. Because I tried DuckDuckGoose for a while, you know, just because I wanted a private browser. But I am Edge. I'm, I'm diehard now until something else comes along. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the developer experience. Yes. Yeah. So what's your biggest, like, what's your biggest, you know, thankful change in, in the last decade? Mm. I think the emergence of really good IDEs, JetBrains, and of GitHub Copilot are pretty cool. Um, those make me a lot faster. And I think having GitHub is a game changer. Um, when I first started, I didn't use any kind of version control and just made copies of the directory every now and then. Oh, wow. Shit. And sometimes I destroyed that. 
and having version control like GitHub that keeps track of all of your changes and allows you to collaborate with other people mm -hmm. and merges your changes together so that you don't have to manually copy code. He changed that. Okay, I wanted my copy as well. Yeah. Um, that is really good. And I think GitHub really gained that popularity in the last 10 years. All right, but what do you think's missing? What do you think should come next? Or what do you think, like, in the developer world, you know, big question to ask, like, you know, come up with one idea that will change the entire tech industry. But what do you think you know, is missing from that experience or better yet, how do you think developers should evolve, you know, in, in the next 10 years? So I think if, the, if I knew something that was missing, I would be building it right now. As I was um, building the question, as I was saying it, I thought, okay, yeah, of course, if you could answer, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? You know. Um, what should come? So I think, I think an interesting question is how... Uh, something like Co GitHub Copilot will influence how we develop mm -hmm. and how much code it will write for us and how much we have to write ourselves and how much that impacts how much developers are worth in the end on the job market. Yeah. But I'm also not an AI expert. So, yeah. I mean, me and you had a big conversation about um, how AI will, will change things. And I remember you're quite of the opinion that the code itself is still, it's never, it's still always going to need a human touch to write, you know? And I was taking a stance that, okay, if AI can automate it efficiently and well enough, then that would eventually push out the need for, for, you know, this human developers. But I think you were trying to convince me that it's a much more, it's like a poetry thing, right? You're still going to need people to find the best way to throw things together. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think why we might need people is that uh, depends on how good AI becomes and how many errors it makes. And I think right now it's making a lot of errors. And when you have a site like, let's choose something like Facebook or Instagram, you need, you need to make sure that all the data is private, uh, that if I send you a message, nobody else can obtain that message. And there you have a very high, if, if there is some kind of error, some kind of failure, it's very expensive for the company mm -hmm. in terms of image and financial loss. And so I think for that, um, to ensure that, I mean, humans are not perfect at that, but that's something that humans can currently do a lot better an AI does, but who knows what happens in the next 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it's keep, if you look back on the last 10 years, like you couldn't have predicted any of the beats really that happened. A lot of them were a bit strange. So it's, who knows what true, will happen true. with AI. But do you think though that with things like GitHub Copilot or um, all these AI auto-completion coding things and with the emergence of all of this smart, smart tools, do you think that the, the, the skill of the market of developers have become diluted more and more because there's less and less of the people who had to learn to code, you know, in the old school hard ways. Do you think that people will become more and more reliant on these tools and then there'll be less and less skill in the market? Or how do you think it's going to balance out? So I don't think that just having the tools makes it easier. Mm -hmm. For example, in the web development world, there were a lot of tools introduced like Webpack, TypeScript, um, 
CSS preprocessors and stuff and React and they are all amazing and they make my life easier, but it's, but they only make it easier because I know all of them. And I think it's harder to get into it, into the whole world than it was a couple of years ago. I think once you're in it, they make your life a lot easier, but you have so much more to learn to get in. Do you think there's much to be said about self-learning versus, say, a boot camp or even a university course? Have you noticed much difference in your experience? I think it's about um, how you learn best. Mm -hmm. So I know that I learn best when I pick a project for myself, something where I can actually apply it and sit somewhere mostly alone, learn everything I need to learn, and then apply it. And I know other people who need that external pressure, who need someone who explains it to them five times. And I think for this kind of person, a bootcamp is a lot better. Also, a bootcamp lets you learn a lot faster. Generally, having someone um, else help you helps you learn a lot faster because I remember these days where I was just trying to figure, fix a bug in some kind of Android app that I developed. And I sat there for two days banging my head against the desk and <laughs> trying to fix it. And in the end, I did. And I learned a lot from going through all of that trial and error. But if you have someone you can ask, you save two days. That's true. And so what advice would you give to newcomers in the code? Uh, pick some kind of personal project, something that you would like to see in the world, some kind of tool, some kind of game, whatever you're into, and try to build it from scratch. I think you learn so much from scratch. And if I look at old co-workers um, from when I had a full-time job, some of them were great when the code base existed. Yep. And then when it was a new one, it was a bit harder for them because building that from scratch, you, you basically have to do all the configuration and stuff. And having done that once, I think it's very valuable. Is that kind of a top tip as well you wish you'd known when you had started? If you could go back and tell yourself one thing, would it be that? Uh, to be honest, it's, it's been my approach to learning from the beginning, and I think it's worked quite well. And I yep. don't really have any kind of thing that I would have wanted to dif do differently. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned then like about when you do work for a company with a big... Um, with an existing code base. And I asked you a while ago about like, you know, how come you're self-employed now and stuff. And you, you were saying to me that you much prefer to be able to work on your own stuff and your own time. So I wanted to get your opinion on like, you know, what is your opinion on self-employment against working for a tech company? And so I know here that it's individual to everyone, but like, what is it that drives you towards wanting to be self-employed? What are those, like, those kind of comforts that you, you, you go, you gravitate towards? I think um, I never really learned coding because I wanted a job in it. I didn't learn coding because uh, coding was cool and said I wanted to create games or I cr wanted to create some kind of app. So that has always been the driving thing for me. And then when I do it on my own, my own project, I have to do all the related stuff as well, like design. If you work in a company and you're the developer, you usually have a designer who makes it look good and who thinks about, okay, what should the app do? And you're the person executing. And some people really like that, but I like having the overview of everything. And then, of course, when you're self-employed, you also have to learn how to sell it, yeah. which is 
quite a challenge, I think, but yeah. it's something that gets better with practice and something I also enjoy learning about. Yeah, well, then, actually, that's, um, yeah, go, go on, finish. And then, of course, being self-employed has some advantages, like you can pick your hours. A lot of self-employed people will end up working more because they enjoy it. Yeah. Or because they have to for some client. Um, but you get freedom. You get a lot of freedom that you don't get when you're employed. You know, I think that almost all of these arguments about self-employed, uh, self-taught versus university or self-employed versus working all goes out the window when it's like someone who genuinely is driven towards coding as a passion, right? So that makes sense. For, for, for example, I know for sure myself, I coded for like a year and a half and I was like, I don't have this inbuilt passion for the code you know i'm coding for some reason <laughs> right so, so that's why i moved back to products and i still love the tech world and i love what's being built with them but i wasn't waking up on a sunday morning and being like oh, i'm gonna build this you know to do with this new react to do list with this new <laughs> react library i've got it just kind of was there for about six or seven months then it kind of faded and i was speaking to my peers and they would say things like how much joy coding all day brings them and i think maybe i wasn't just super skilled right away or i didn't start early enough had too much else going on and so i identified that within myself and adjusted and i think that like you find these people who like yourself who are very driven to code for reasons that is like the purest codists right and this kind of all of these other arguments about which way is best kind of don't matter when that's the the core of it and i think that's always true across anyone of any age that i speak to on this podcast or whether it's a meetup or whatever and um, you can always kind of tell um and i think you nailed it very well when you said that you'd never learn to code just to get a job and i think that's a question people need to ask themselves quite honestly like do i actually want to do this as a job or do i just want the job that it comes along with it and i think yeah. that can be a hard question to answer yeah um i think that if people are really driven to, because they have some kind of goal they want to achieve, they will learn coding in any way they choose. And the bootcamp is probably something very intense, something that gets you started very quickly. Um, and they might learn it that way or they might do it on their own. But I think even for me, coding is enjoyable, but I think what's the most enjoyable thing is building something that you can actually use afterwards. Yeah. It's still yeah. a bit magical to, from nothing, create something that's, that's cool, that feel, that's fun to use. Especially if it fi fixes a real problem in your life, right? Yeah. And the last, so the last thing on employment I wanted, if you, if you did get a job, if you were working in the coding world and you weren't self-employed, would you aim for a startup, an SME, or an enterprise? Where would you go from, as a coder, purely? Good question. Um, so I think they are kind of different. So if you go for a startup, you do a lot of different things. You get experience in a lot of different technologies, maybe. Then sometimes you do front end, sometimes you do back end, then you do something completely different another day. And if you go to a really big company, you're probably a lot more specialized and you do one thing and you do it well. In exchange, you're probably paid more when you go to that big company and you might have more work-life balance, but I think you can learn more in the, 
in the startup probably. What I would choose, I think it depends on what I would want at that point in my life. Oof, good answer. Um, I think there's nothing that's better or that's worse. I think right now I don't want both. Yep. Okay, very political answer then. So I don't want either. Okay, so I, you are right though. If you, it's really I think startups are a bit more rocky, chaotic, but you learn so much so fast. And when you get to these bigger enterprise companies, you're just a cog in the machine. But then that's a very well oiled machine. So there's you know pros and cons. Okay, so let's move on then to this coaching you've mentioned a few times. Um, how long have you been coaching people now? For about a year. So okay. about a year ago. I I had actually tried to find people to do that because I really enjoyed teaching. I'd been a dance teacher in my free time for about one and a half years. When I was in school, I always um, did this thing. In German is called Nachhilfe, which is just if someone struggles in school, they get another student to sit with them after school and explain stuff to them. Mm-hmm. And I'd been doing that during school and paid for my guitar and stuff that I wanted back then. Nice. And so I had been trying to find someone to do this with and then, and pitched it to a couple of people. And then I was scrolling through Twitter randomly and found someone who was looking for exactly that. And then I messaged him and we've been going for about a year now. And it's really fun. And what is it exactly that you coach? Is it just coding or? It's not just coding. Um, So, the people that I coach are usually founders and CEOs and they have some kind of product that they want to build. Oftentimes they've hired someone before some freelancer and weren't really happy with the results that they got and decided, Hey, I want this faster. I want this better. I'm just going to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And then I start learning and they always have some kind of product in mind that I want to build. So then it's also about some parts about design, some parts about product management, some ideas on marketing, uh, prioritization. So a lot of different things, but oftentimes it's, yeah, they want to build some product and some parts that they can do themselves. And at some parts they, they struggle. And because when you just start learning, it's a lot. And some things are actually hard to solve from a technical standpoint. And then they come to me with that. And I explain, we, usually we develop a plan together, how to go about it, how we can solve it. And if there's some concept that they need to learn, I explain it. If sometimes there are bugs in applications and some of them, especially in a full stack development setting can be hard to find because there are so many moving pieces mm-hmm. and then we jump in together and solve it. And instead of them banging the head against the desk for two days, yes. we just solve it in 30 minutes or an hour. And nice. so it saves them a lot of time. Is it um, only people who have businesses or do you ever coach individuals? So, I mean, these are still individuals in the end. Um, these are the people who of course, so far, if someone else, wants to i'm down Mm -hmm. um we'll put the link to my homepage to the description where someone can message me but i think it's most valuable to people who want to start a business and what about outreach for that so outreach uh, it kind of relates to everyone listening as well because it's the same i guess like you're still pitching yourself it's like applying for a job like how do you approach outreach for coaching do you just 
Yeah, how do you do it? What's your what's your go to method? So far, I haven't done much outreach for it. So I sent that one message to my first client, and then he referred me to my second client. And okay, well, that was quite a lucky one then. That was pretty good, yeah. And I don't have plans at the moment to scale it up by doing outreach. Uh-huh. Outreach, I hate outreach as a concept. It's hard. You have to do <laughs> like the cut, you know, this rejection thing a lot, and ninety percent of it's rejection, even if you have a solid pitch. Um, and then you know the different approaches people take. At the same time, yeah, I tried outreach for. I, I built a Chrome extension at the at the end of last year just for fun, right? Um, and to to help my coaching client with the task that he wanted to automate. Mm-hmm. And I did outreach, and I had done outreach before, and I got really frustrated because almost no one responded. And this yeah. time it was better because I went in with the mindset of saying, okay, 10% of people are going to respond. Yeah. So, okay, I have to send 10 messages, then I get one back. Well, and this is a perfect segue, actually, to the last topic I wanted to cover. Uh, just when you were saying then about like this, you know, dealing with this mindset of how to approach the rejection side. And that's this, uh, this meetup you do, this comfort zones challenges comfort zone challenges is it called yeah comfort zone challenges give us the pitch of that because i think it's really interesting so i think it'd be very interesting for a lot of our listeners to be honest okay so oftentimes we we stay in our comfort zones and there are certain things that we would want to do but are afraid to do and i started co-hosting this meetup which is called comfort zone challenges uh i'm doing it in berlin there's also one of it in Vienna and I think one in Cardiff in the UK and some other cities as well. And the idea is we gather as a group and then we split into small groups of three people and we have a list of challenges and we go through them. Um, Usually, and everyone picks things that they are afraid of and try to do them. And it can be, we start small, you don't build a habit by going into something that where you just feel overwhelmed by fear. We start with something that makes us afraid, but in a way that we can still deal with it. And then we increase it and we do it in a group. So we have support from each other. And I've seen it help myself in my life uh, a lot. But so I think the, the key crucial piece of information here is that these things that scare you are always like public facing right to others to other people it's not just like you know uh playing chess scares me it's about like doing things that help you interact or how is it yeah so the challenges are usually something that where other people might look at you and think you're weird so we try to get into situations where other people can reject us Mm. or where which you also open an outreach situation. Or so you just queue up for Burkine a lot, I guess. <laughs> I've never tried, but might be a good, like a good way to get rejected, yeah. <laughs> but you probably queue for a long time, and mm. it's not a very effective way to get in a lot in a small waste time. of a Sunday. <laughs> but yeah, the, the challenge is uh, you've got to keep in mind it's Germany, so people are pretty close towards strangers. So it can start with, for someone with going up to a stranger and asking them for their name and stuff like go up to a random stranger and ask them to play rock, paper, scissors with you or, you know, play a monkey in public and walk around like a monkey making (laughs) monkey noises for a minute. 
I mean, it sounds very funny, but I think the actual concept is great. Like uh, uh, encouraging people to come out of their comfort zone is something that might be so beneficial to so many people. And the skills you get from that, I imagine, are very transferable into the interviewing process, right? For I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the biggest learning from the meetup is people don't actually care that much. So you can be weird and they will forget you in like a minute. Very you, true. And after a while, once you, once you realize that you can start being confident and just go into the conversations confident. And then the funny thing is a lot more people start to respond positively to what you do. So even yeah. if it's a weird request, like going up to a stranger, uh, asking them if they want to take a selfie with you at some point, if you're just confident enough, enough people will say yes. And so if these random selfie people on my phone. Um, yeah, I mean, the individual act is a, a bit strange, but the, the skill set is absolutely guaranteed right. If you, once yeah. you realize that no one on earth cares more about themselves than they do about you, uh, can, more about you than they do about themselves, everyone's mostly just thinking about themselves, and sometimes you'll do something that will cross their mind. It's very freeing and liberating in the way that it allows you to be a lot more confident in doing things and, and putting yourself in these situations, which are usually beneficial. And I think that the, you know, the good thing is most people on earth don't realize that you can just be confident and, you know, it will benefit you in, in such a way. And that's what gives it value. Um, so this meetup sounds like a great idea for anyone who wants to go and kind of hone those skills alongside their iron hack learning. Um, how do people get involved in that? So it's on meetup.com. Meetup.com is great in general. Dan also has a very good meetup on there, Journey into Product. Um, but yeah, just go on meetup.com, search for uh, social adventures or for comfort zone challenges and search in Berlin or Vienna and you will find us and we can also put the link into the show notes, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're happy for everyone who joins. Most people are afraid when they first join. That's fine. Uh, yeah. We're welcoming. <laughs> and yeah all come to journey into product it's my meetup and that is basically focused on helping ironhack students find jobs outside of the course right it's a it's a networking course. and it's quite effective yeah so far i think we've had six or seven people have been hired so far i don't never talk about that it. you know yes. of that, you that know i know of. Of. that's the key thing i think yeah. there are more people where you just never heard the result yeah that's probably true i don't know why i haven't spoke about it much more on this podcast given that it's like was hosted at it's one of the for half best meetups in in berlin so the story is i was visiting so i think you asked in the beginning where i'm based i'm based in berlin um and i was visiting berlin last year just to figure out if it's a city i want to move to and i went to dance meetup and it was so amazing, so many cool startup people, and that really yeah. influenced my decision. And then I decided... There's good people there. And actually, Tim, old co-host, Turnery Tim, who usually is on the He's Sick Today, he is speaking in March. So he's speaking, I guess, by the time this comes out in a few weeks, 21st of March, he'll be speaking... Um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for the pitch there. And thank you for all the insights into self-learning and your journey into coding and all of the things we spoke about today, which includes the um, terminal tutor, uh, console, console tutor, what's the, give me the name? Terminaltutor.com. Terminaltutor.com link, the link to your homepage if people want to reach out to you, um, especially for feedback on that, or if they want to reach out to you directly for coaching, they can find it there, as well as a link to the meetup. Um, 
for yeah comfort zone challenges which it, which is a i think a really nice additional piece of learning for anyone out there so and it's free forgot to mention that key one all right so thank you very much nicholas thank you for having me catch you next time There you go. That was the episode uh, with Nicholas. So that was a good episode. I told you there'd be a lot of it, lot of stuff in there for you. If you are, you know, thinking about moving into your own projects and doing things by yourself, um, do feel free to reach out to Nicholas um, on on LinkedIn or through his website and test out his platform. I think that this uh, coding, um, sorry, terminal terminal tutor is really useful for a lot of people out there. And like we spoke about. Even if you're, you know, a few months in, it could be good for you. So all the links are in the show notes and see you all next week. Have a good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are. See you next time.